Hey everybody, welcome back. It's been a little while. This is Nick Veronin. I am the Arts and Features Editor of Metro Silicon Valley. Josh Kane is no longer with us. He's at the Chronicle now. I think the last podcast you all tuned into had Josh bidding adieu to Metro after being here for many, many years. I think seven, Jen, is that right? I think that's right, yeah. I'm joined by Jennifer Wadsworth, our news editor. Hello. We're going to talk about this week's issue and resume the podcast tradition. This week's issue is all about Cinequest, uh, the long, long-running San Jose Silicon Valley Film Festival. This year, uh, I'm excited personally because uh, Nicolas Cage is going to be one of the uh, one of the celebs that they're rolling out the red carpet for. If you've ever been to Cinequest, uh, you know that they it's a film festival. It's held in uh, multiple theaters downtown, and now um, also in Redwood City. They screen films of all genres, documentaries, dramas, comedies. Um, some of them are featuring big stars and actors and that you would know. Um, some of them are more independent films. They're student films. And it's, uh, it takes over downtown for, for about a week and a half at the end of February through March. This year it starts on the 27th. Tuesday next week, and it's going to open up with William H. Macy, who you'll know from many films in the Showtime show Shameless, as well as uh, one of his greatest roles, I think, in Fargo. Have you seen Fargo, Jen? I love that movie, yes. Yeah. William H. Macy, uh, he is, I guess, sort of a character actor, but he's, he's, he's a very famous character actor, and he usually plays these sort of like put-upon yeah, you know, exactly. guys, right? And he's really good at it. And it, it, he was perfect for that role in Fargo. Just is he going to be in town? Yeah. Giving so he, a talk? He's got, he's got a film. Uh, this is, I believe, his second uh, feature-length film. Uh, it's called Crystal, and it's starring Rosario Dawson. And that's the film that's going to open up the festival. So he'll be, nice. he'll be here on opening night on the, the 27th to introduce his film. And I think he'll probably speak a little bit. And, you know, he'll, he'll go on the red carpet and we'll get a picture of him, hopefully, for the paper. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Um, and then Nick Cage is uh, delivering a talk or a keynote. Well, kind? he's yeah, he is being honored as one of this year's Maverick Spirit Award winners. Oh. And our film critic uh, in this issue of Metro, Richard Von Busack, he's been with the paper from the beginning. And he always has a lot of interesting stuff to say about film. Um he penned a strong defense of Nick Cage because some people think Nick Cage is cheesy, but Richard's article starts off with the lead, if you think Nicolas Cage is over the top, you belong under the ground. Wow. Strong words, right? Yes. Yeah. I love this dignified uh, picture, portrait of him we have on the cover of yeah. Nick Cage. Yeah. We're staring off into the distance. Yeah, he's thinking deep thoughts there, isn't he? Um, but, you know, he's he's an interesting guy. He's been in... A lot of weird, cheesy movies, Gone in 60 Seconds, National Treasure, ones that are even worse than that. I think like uh, Drive Angry, uh, Ghost Ride. He was Ghost Rider. Ghost the, Rider. The, 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 the eternal, uh, eternally damned uh, motorcycle rider with the, oh, yeah. with, the, with the flaming chain. He doesn't um, turn down any role, does he? Yeah. And 
the word on the street is that he does that because uh, he he's he he takes every role because he's gotten into money trouble. I guess um, Richard points out that um, that he, he at one point bought a castle. <laughs> so uh, you know, I think uh, maybe some divorces played a role in this, and yeah, yeah he's just kind of. Um, a lot of people don't know, though, he is a Coppola. He's oh. part of the Coppola family. He changed his name to Cage uh, uh, to uh, pay tribute to one of his favorite comic book characters, I guess. He's a big comics guy. He named one of his sons Cal L, apparently. That's oh, really? Superman's I have a friend father. who named their son Cal for oh, that wow. reason. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it wasn't to distance himself from the Coppola family and like I'm not. I make think his own way. I, I think it was probably something. Yeah, I think it. I, I, it's probably like an Emilio Estevez right. type situation, right? Um, and <laughs> Emilio Estevez. Uh, when when was uh, when was Charlie Sheen going through all of his stuff? I bet Estevez was 2011. I think. Yeah. I don't know. His his decision to go with Estevez was 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 looking pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> back then. Anyway, uh, so Nick Cage is going to be here. Oh, so he's been in these cheesy movies, I was saying, but he's also uh, an Academy Award winner for Leaving Las Vegas, a movie about sort of a, an alcoholic going on one last bender in Las Vegas. He was in um, Raising Arizona. Have you seen that? Haven't. Oh, that's an early Coen Brothers movie. Really funny. And then I think the fact that he's so memeable says something about like the way we feel about him. Like, I don't know. I, I like Nicolas Cage. I right. Think. I mean, not every, every movie people star in needs to be brilliant. Right. I guess there's this expectation a, that if you win an award, there's no going back to the right. cheesy movies after that, but he can, if he wants. It's a like, job. Yeah. He's an job. actor. He's, he's got to pay. He's got bills to pay. He's yeah. got castles to try to maintain. Apparently. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, Nick Cage, I think his event is on the 28th. And he's in a new movie. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be an Academy Award winner. But this movie he's in um, has a virtual reality component. And virtual reality is also going to be a part of the festival. Last year, Cinequest really um, doubled down on virtual reality. And they had all these workshops hmm. um, and, and demos of virtual reality storytelling, which is very, it's, it's new, it's emergent. And uh, the big thing last year and as well this year is there's been over 100 years of cinema and it's developed its own storytelling language. Like viewers know, viewers understand montages and they understand the way you cut between scenes. And now there's this thing where you have 360 degrees, you move your head around, you can see, you you can choose in some cases, different paths through the story. And so how do we develop a language that people will understand as a storytelling language for virtual reality was, is a big oh, question okay. right now. Yeah. So they're going to have, they're going to have uh, workshops and they're going to show what some people are doing. And actually speaking of the Coppola's uh, Nicholas Cage's brother, Christopher Coppola is a big believer in uh, virtual reality and he's going to be at the festival uh, and he has a virtual reality project that that he's been working on, and he'll be, I think, also talking about what he's learned in the past few years about doing virtual reality. So, interesting. Richard uh, also in this week's uh, cover story package has an interview with Christopher Coppola. 
so that's interesting. He talks about virtual reality. He talks about his uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, saying that he is also intrigued by VR. Uh, and we uh, we get him on the record about his brother, Nick Cage, as well. So nice. I'm not going to spoil that. you got to pick up the paper to find out what Christopher says. It's... Well, I'm not going to spoil it at all. You got to find out if if he's nice or if he's if he's not so kind. You pick it up, you'll find out. Um, finally, uh, at this fil- uh, at the at Cinequest, we have a film by Dustin Cohen called Flynn Flon, a Hockey Town. It's a documentary about this um, this town up in uh, Manitoba, I believe, Canada. Hmm. Super cold, like it gets down to like minus twenty. Um, like and that's that's not bad for them. Like they right. go out and you know, I can't my, even fathom that kind of coldness. Yeah, so it's a super small uh, town. It's named after like a science fiction character. Richard did a great job uh, writing this up. Um, he really liked the film as well. Is it a documentary? Yeah, it's a documentary about this town that has this hockey team um, called the Bombers, and they've apparently. Um, you know, casual hockey fan like me wouldn't know about them, but like people who are diehard hockey fans know about this team because they've been around a long time, longer than many NHL franchises have been. And a lot of NHL players have come through and played for the Bombers. It's kind of okay. like a, it's kind of like, you know, a farm team, a well-known farm team for yeah. the NHL. And the town just revolves around hockey and they have some interesting traditions. Uh, the team's mascot is a three-legged moose, and when the team wins, when the team wins, somebody always has like a, a, a severed moose limb leg to like throw onto the ice. It's this just that's wonderful. Yeah, it's a little macabre. Yeah, so so yeah, weird weird uh, remote town up in in Canada uh, with a with a strong hockey tradition. So uh, that's all in this week's issue. About Cinequest. So pick it up, and we're going to be right back to talk about the anniversary of the big flood that hit San Jose back in February of 2017. Stay tuned. We're back. Uh, again, pick up a copy of this week's Metro to learn all about uh, the Cinequest Film Festival, which runs February 27th through March 11th. So it is today uh, and yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, February 22nd. February 21st, 2017, it was not as dry and cold as it is right now in San Jose. It was wet. Right. Really wet. We had a deluge, and the Rock Springs neighborhood in San Jose, which is along Coyote Creek, flooded. the 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 creek went way over its over its what do you call those shores? Yeah, <laughs> its banks. Its banks. banks. Yeah, and there were some pretty amazing images uh, that we got from our photographer Greg Raymar that people got by flying drones over William Street Park. William Street Park was a lake. 
Yeah, it's surreal. And the Rock Springs neighborhood got hit the hardest. And Jen, can you tell us about what happened back in February of 2017 and, and also about what the most impacted residents are doing now, who they are? And I understand there's there's a lawsuit with 150 plaintiffs from the Rock Springs neighborhood. Can you kind of bring us up to speed on what's happened over the past year and, and where we're at now? Yeah, um, so several neighborhoods were inundated by the flood, but the one that was hit the hardest was Rock Springs because it's low-lying. It's, you know, it's right next to the river. It lies lower than other neighborhoods around it, and the infrastructure is really old. These are old apartments, and so... And a lot of the neighbors, a lot of the people who live there were renters, too. Right, and it's a so, lower-income, rent, yeah, renter-dominated... A lot of immigrant community families there. And so when they were displaced, they were not only physically hit the hardest because of the water, but also impacted because the landlords jacked up their rent. A lot of the people didn't own the places where they were living there, so they couldn't go back home. Or if they did go back home, it was much more expensive. Right, so these places, were, were, were a lot of them rent-controlled? Did a lot of them go fall under the rent protections that we have in San Jose? Some of them were because they were built before the 1970s. So in San Jose, the rent control departments have to be built before 1979. And these mm-hmm. were, a lot of them were that old. But in the years since, there have there are people who are still displaced and some people who had to move out of the area entirely. So in, in the years since the flood, the water district has been working on building up flood protection infrastructure in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, there's been some... A little bit of progress made there. Um, and also, like you mentioned, some of the victims have banded together and filed a lawsuit. Yeah, who um, are they suing? They're and suing the county, uh, the water district, and the city. So they're suing the water district for failing to have the proper flood protections in place, even mm-hmm. though there was a couple par- parcel taxes passed that should have paid for that stuff. Uh, they're suing the city because the city failed to let people know in time, yeah. uh, know about the flooding in time, even though they knew hours, maybe even a day in advance. Okay. Um, so if people had a little bit of heads up, they could have saved a lot of their possessions and right. gotten out of Dodge, but the city kind of dropped the ball on that. And then the county? The county is being sued too, and I think the, the claim for damages there would be or the allegations against county are that they also f- somehow failed to noti- notify residents. Sure, sure. So. Yeah, uh, on this week's podcast, we're going to have an interview with just one individual who is illustrative of a lot of the people who were impacted um, by the floods. Our intrepid intern, Kristen, who's also engineering this podcast, thanks Kristen, has an interview with one of the victims of the flood, and we're going to check in with that piece right now and find out how one of the many individuals impacted by this devastating flood um, is doing one year later. February 21st and 22nd marked the one-year anniversary of the Coyote Creek flood that displaced thousands of San Jose residents. Christy Mariano is one of the some 150 flood victims suing the city, county, and water district. She was folding laundry at home, two blocks from the creek, when her neighbor knocked on the door to warn her. The water looked like really runny Campbell's mushroom soup. It was white and it had chunks in it. When we were leaving, the water was coming up my driveway and we had about 45 minutes to get our stuff. You know, that's not long for somebody with with disabilities, you know, and I just, where was the city? I I just, I didn't understand. I, I, 
We didn't see anybody. We didn't see anybody. I didn't see anybody. With high rent prices in San Jose, many of the flood victims have struggled to find affordable housing. To support victims, the city dispersed a relief fund to nonprofit organizations such as Catholic Charities. In the past year, Christie has experienced a range of temporary living conditions, including sleeping in a motel parking lot. So first I lived in a motel because I couldn't stay in the shelters because of my, my mental issues and I suffer from anxiety, depression, and from after I spent the night at my friend's house, which was February 22nd, to the end of the end of April yeah and then Catholic Charities got me a place at the end of April till about the end of August and when the end of August rolled around I was freaking out I started having eye bleeding in my eyes and from the stress you know a few days later I got a knock on my door and it was I don't know if there's security for the apartment or and they said um no one's supposed to be here and I said well Catholic Charities gave me an extension on my lease. That's not what the management said, but we'll check with them. All of a sudden, my phone's blowing up, and Catholic Charities like, I need to meet with you as soon as possible. Um, you're supposed to be out of there. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. So they threw me out, and I didn't have anywhere to I Honestly, I slept in the parking lot of the motel that I had stayed in, because, you know, you stay there for three months, you get to know people, and... They're just like, yeah, just, you know, stay somewhere in the back where people can't really see you. And I couldn't afford a room that night. It was really kind of them to let me stay. It took me writing to the city manager's office for Catholic Charities to call me. Oh, no, no, no. We need to get you somewhere to live and find you housing. They found me my hotel room that I'm staying in at uh, Best Western Lanai Gardens over on Tully. It's not the best neighborhood, but it's safe but there's nowhere to cook my food which is a big deal because of my kidney disease i have been stage kidney disease which um, i have to go to dialysis three times a week for three hours and 45 minutes each each time then there's also the situation with my old housing that that's a whole thing that i'm that i have the law foundations help trying to get back in or into another place so under the new ordinance that they have for uh, no-fault evictions. <laughs> a year after the flood, Christy misses the rental she called home for 11 years. She reflects on the flood victim community, the lawsuit and the victim's attorney, Amanda Haas, and what she wants reimbursement for. You talk to anyone that's come forward from this flood, and it's usually a person of color, so I believe it's a class thing. We're lives. Regardless of how much money we make, if we find through Amanda's um, research and things that that is a that was a, a thing, I, I I'm gonna be m even more mad than I am now, and I'm mad. I'm mad that we weren't pulled out like anim the animals at Happy Hollow were. Every time I hear that, it's just like, what? Why did they get? Why? What? I'm glad I have a roof over my head. I respect the city for using, you know, those flood funds to help house us. As much as it's not an ideal situation for a lot of the families and me, it's still a roof over our heads and 
we have to be grateful for that but there's other circumstances that need to be addressed as much as money is nice to have and I'm not gonna lie I need money I want a house I want somewhere to call home I've been searching really hard for somewhere to live and just the constant denials of that that's what I want I want my home back and for all this this whole year of playing around with my housing and all that that's what I want reimbursement for is that stress that that just disrespect really from catholic charities and making me feel like I was less than human you know that's what I want reimbursement for Okay, we're back. Great work there, Kristen. Um, some very compelling stuff. We're going to close the podcast, as we always have, with the hit list. It is pulled from our Metroactive calendar, which is in the center spread of the paper every week, and it's a, it's a list of things to do, art events, concerts, and other stuff to check out in the community. So this year, or this, this week on Saturday... We have the Bacon and Beer Classic, which comes around every year. It's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> uh, Levi's Stadium uh, hosts a bunch of food vendors and local brewers, and you get together and you just consume way too many calories. Sounds like there are a couple contests, too. A Bacon Beauty pageant, Ooh. whatever that means. Yeah, and uh, so thirty uh, more than 30 bacon dishes and 100 beers from local breweries will be there. Sounds like a good time. I think tickets are 69 bucks. starts at 12 on Saturday. So if, uh, if you like bacon and beer, and I don't know who doesn't, you might think about checking that out. On Sunday, speaking of bacon, on Sunday, uh, there's going to be an event at the Poorhouse Bistro to save the dancing pig sign. Now, uh, if you've ever been down by Deardon uh, Station, right across from Patty's Inn, the old bar there, there's a sign, an old neon sign, and it has a, a dancing pig. And it's one of many historic neon signs in San Jose that's kind of fallen into disrepair. And they're um, trying to save it. I mean, and also that neighborhood is um, some of the historic buildings and landmarks in that neighborhood are not only falling into disrepair, but they're in jeopardy because Google's coming. Yeah, exactly. So all that stuff is going to get developed eventually or over the next several years when Google comes into town. But I think there's a plan. I, the History San Jose plans to relocate the Dancing Pig sign. Okay. Um, so on, on Sunday, the fundraiser is, is raising money to repair it. I, and I think just keep it where it is for now, but, you know, eventually it will be moved to a museum somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I guess the would... neon lights don't work anymore, oh, so you okay. can't see it do its little jig. Oh, man. Yeah, we, uh, the Barfly column, uh, the Barfly boys uh, wrote a little bit about the dancing pig uh, oh, yeah. in a column a little while ago. You can find that on SanJose.com. Uh, if you go there and you search for uh, the Barfly columns, um, I think it was about Hoppus Brewery, which is down there near the Dancing Pig sign, which was um, a sign for Stevens Meat Co., which is no longer around. But there's also a lot of great neon signs if you go down uh, Monterey. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, like there's this uh, one of my favorite Mexican joints is called uh, Shiva's Grill, but it's in this place that was, I guess, like a drive in and it says five spot. Oh, cool. And then a little bit further down, there's a, it's closed right now, but there's like a big neon sign that says like liquor store. I'm hoping 
a nice high-end liquor store goes in there, like with yeah. craft beer and stuff. This is actually also by where I live, so it's a little, a little selfish. <laughs> Finally, this weekend, also on Sunday at 4 p.m. at the Continental uh, Bar Lounge and Patio down here in the Sofa District near uh, Metro's headquarters, there is uh, going to be a DJ set by DJ Spun, who, uh, for those of you... Uh, Gen Xers who were big into the rave scene back in the 90s, you'll probably remember DJ Spun was from San Jose. Hmm. Um, and he's done everything from, you know, breakbeat to disco to rave classics, techno, more. He basically uh, has had his hand in just about every kind of dance music, been popular since from the 90s to now. And he, uh, he moved from San Jose to New York. He founded a label called Wrong Music, spelled R-O-N-G, music. And he was an early curator of the tastemaking MoMA party, the warm-up. So guy's got quite a resume. Hmm. He's back in town. It's a free event, too. It's free. It's free. Free to get in. And you can get drinks and get your get your dance on. Uh, get, your, get your groove on. <laughs> oh, that's so tacky. Anyway, that's what we got on the hit list this week. Yeah, pick up a copy of Metro. You can read about more events that are happening this weekend. Read about Cinequest. Read a story that Jen wrote about an, a reported increase in, in rapes, which we aren't sure is because there's more predators out there or because maybe women are being more inspired to come forward and, and, and say that they've been assaulted. Yeah, That's true. yeah so... On that heavy note, I think we'll uh, we'll bid you farewell. And uh, thanks for tuning in to the SV411 podcast. My name's Nick Veronin, Jennifer Wadsworth, signing off.